0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Let's, uh, Let's stand together. We'll read Luke chapter 14 again. Luke chapter 14. And uh, we'll begin reading in verse 25, and uh, I think we'll read responsively tonight. And uh, I will read verse 25, you'll read 26, and so on, down through verse 33. So verse 25, I'll begin. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus Christ makes it very clear the marks of discipleship and what it takes to be a disciple or how you know that you're a disciple. And I'm thankful for the clarity. I'm thankful for the directness of Christ here and how plainly he puts it and how e- how easy it is for us to measure ourselves against these standards. And that's what we'll be talking about another angle or another aspect of that tonight. Let's pray, and then you can be seated, and we'll get into the Word. Thank you, Father, for this truth and, and for the way that it's spoken to my heart. And I thank you for uh, the receptiveness of, of your people in receiving these truths. I thank you for, for those that are excited about being disciples and, and who have already taken steps and made decisions that reflect their desire to be a disciple. And God, it is, it is something that should, that should affect and change our lives every day. And I'm very grateful, Lord, for this room full of people who I believe in their sincere hearts want to be a follower, a disciple, a learner, a pupil. I'm grateful for the desire here and for the heart and uh, in sincerity in approaching this tonight. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and help us to see where we might fit into this angle that we're taking this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, as I've already mentioned, last Sunday and this past Wednesday, we've been looking at the marks of discipleship here in Luke chapter 14. A great multitude is following Christ, but they're not really committed disciples. They're, it's one of those things where uh, you know the crowd is just kind of gathering and and it's the popular thing to do, and and people want to show up and see what Jesus Christ might do next. They were just kind of following the crowd, and the Lord knows it, because He knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. So He begins a weeding out process by clearly letting them know what will be required if someone chooses to follow Him. See, to this point, there hasn't been much required of the multitude. There hasn't really been much that they've been asked to give up, or that they've been asked to sacrifice, or, or that they, they haven't been asked to stand on their own two feet in the face of adversity just yet, but that's coming, and it's coming shortly. And so when Christ turns and speaks to the multitude, He's helping them to understand that this is going to cost you something. Discipleship is not, it's not easy, it's not something that anyone can just jump in and do, and so last Sunday morning, we looked at that you have to love Christ more than your relationships, more than your love of yourself, and even more than your fear of, your, of death. And not just physical death, but, but death to yourself every day. That's the, those are the marks of a disciple. And, and the, the thought flow was that following Christ means we must deliberately and willfully put Him first. We must willingly forsake everything else see a disciple is a learner he's a pupil and not just that he's a doer so if you're going to follow christ if you're going to be a, a disciple of christ you can't be a disciple of christ and also a disciple of this and a disciple of this as well he's asking us to put him first and not just to put him first to put but to put him only he must be first He he must be only. That's how important he is to be to a disciple. So, but the church because the term disciple is the highest label we can wear. And and I know there are other labels we can wear. And we've talked about this. But you can a father is an important label. A husband is is an important label. Ladies, a mother that's an important label. A wife, a a Sunday school teacher, a, a pastor, a Uh, a bus worker, an employee, an employer, a student. All of these are important labels that we wear, and we want to be the best of any of those that we can be. But the most important label, the one label that affects all of those, is whether or not we're a disciple. Because I can try to be the best father, and I can try to be the best husband, I can try to be the best Christian that I can be, um, but if I'm not a disciple... I won't succeed in those things like I really should. So the the disciple is the most important label that we can wear. And then last Sunday night, we talked about disciples make disciples. See, we looked at the challenge of Matthew 28, 19, and 20, which is, what's that called? What's the title we give that? Matthew 28, 19, and 20? The Great Commission. Please be interactive tonight. I I need you to be interactive if I ask a question. So what's it called? The Great Commission, okay. The Great Commission. And if we were to go and look at the Great Commission, there are two words used in the Great Commission. Teach all nations and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And those two words teach come from the same Greek root from which we get the word disciple. So Jesus Christ was telling them, Don't just be a disciple. Now it's time for you to go and make disciples. It is your responsibility, because Christ was about to leave, it is your responsibility, he told his disciples, to go out and make more disciples. And honestly, those early disciples got the job done. They got the job done. They went to places like Ethiopia, and they went to Egypt, and they went to Greece, and Armenia, and India, and Rome, and most of them were martyred, taking the gospel to foreign lands. And I'm thankful for that example. Because they were in Jerusalem to start, but because of the scattering, they took the gospel, they took what Christ said to go and make disciples, they took it to other countries. And, and listen, if they hadn't done that, where would we be today? The fact that they were passionate about taking the gospel to other places and to other countries and, and around the world means that today in 2019, we have heard the gospel because it was spread. And I'm thankful that they approached the Great Commission with that kind of passion. Uh, they fulfilled their, their duty in the Great Commission. They made disciples. Listen, if you're a disciple, that's what you do. You make disciples. It's kind of like the commercial. There's a Geico commercial, and it's like if it says something like, if you're a mom, that's what you do. I don't know if you've seen that one. There's a guy, and he's like a spy, and he's, he's running across the top of the building, and he's being shot at. And people are trying to get him and capture him, and, and his mom calls at the, that moment, and she's talking about stuff that moms talk about, okay, important stuff, like, you know, the cat and things like that. And he's running on a rooftop, and she's, and she's saying, you know, where are you? It's loud there. You know, are you doing Zumba or something like that? And, she, and the end of it says, Geico, when, if you're a mom, you call at the worst times. <laughs> now, I'm thankful for when my mom calls me, okay? If she listens to this, Mom, Mom, I'm thankful for the times that you call me, okay? Just hear that, okay? But sometimes they can call at times that are inconvenient. When you're a mom, that's what you do. Listen, if you're a disciple, you know what you do? You make disciples. Jesus Christ, in the Great Commission told those disciples. He said, you go and make more. You disciple, you disciple. He used the word twice in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. That's what you do. And last Sunday night, we talked about the fact that we have a city to reach. Sioux Falls, South Dakota is not teeming with churches that are preaching, fundamentally preaching the gospel in a clear way. And if, if anyone's going to reach Sioux Falls, this harvest that's ready to be reaped, If anyone's going to reach this city with the gospel, why not us? Why not us? Listen, we've got to become excited and passionate and determined and committed because you don't just reach people with the gospel on a whim. You don't just reach people with the gospel um, because you accidentally stumble into it. No, you take the gospel and you invite your neighbors and you actively work on them and I was telling somebody this morning that outreach or visitation or reaching people, maybe the most important trait in all of that is tenacity. Because sometimes you feel like giving up and you've invited someone and you've invited them and they don't come. Well, you have to be tenacious. You have to be persistent. And we have a city to reach and we have the truth in our hands and what is keeping us from going out and making disciples. If we're not making disciples, folks... We are not disciples. It's a mark of a disciple to go and make more. Listen, if making disciples is a mark of discipleship, can you call yourself a disciple? Where's the fruit? Where's the evidence of your discipleship? And then on Wednesday, we looked at the cost of discipleship. I know many of you are in other places on Wednesday night, but you know, it's, Christ was clear. He's clear in Luke chapter 14. Uh, when he talks about, like, for instance, in verse 28, which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost. See, most of us don't feel the cost of discipleship in a consistently serious way. But Christ was clear that being a disciple should cost you something. And very often, we think that costing us, we equate cost to inconvenience. And we say, well, it's inconvenient to come to church three times a week. Or it's inconvenient to come out and go door-knocking or soul-winning with the church. Or it's inconvenient for me to study for my lesson when I have other things to do. Or if it's, it's inconvenient for me to be at church three times when I have one day off. And my one day off on Sundays, I've got to get things done. It's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. And we think that's counting the cost. But listen, that's not counting the cost in terms of what has historically happened to God's people. Just the fact that those that sat and listened or stood there and listened to him say, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen? Those that heard him say that, most of them died by a sword. Or they died by hanging. Or whatever it was. They died by a crucifixion. They died at the hands of Christ's enemies. That's counting the cost. And We don't really fully understand as Americans, I mean, we have historically, um, you know, we have had it pretty easy when it comes to discipleship. Our costs are mostly inconvenience. It's not putting our life at stake to stand for Christ. And I believe that's why many, listen, and this is important because I know a lot missed it, but I believe that many that are in churches just like Eastside Baptist Church don't take discipleship seriously because they haven't had to have it cost them very much. Now, I know it costs you if you give. And I know it costs you if you serve. But if it doesn't cost you anything, you don't value it. Because you don't value what does it cost you. And the reason there aren't more disciples is because there aren't very many that are willing to pay a cost for discipleship. They're not willing to submit themselves to something that's really a sacrifice to follow Jesus Christ. A disciple, listen, they shouldn't resist the cost of discipleship. That's part of being a disciple. And we're often resistant and we say, well, you know, I can serve Christ and I can be a disciple or I can be a Christian and I don't really have to change much about my life, you know. So we have a tough time sometimes submitting to things like standards, personal standards. And, and, but really, if we're disciples, even changing the way we dress should not be too much to ask, because Christ died on a cross. You know, we, we start to resist the costs that come our way and we say, well, there's so much going on and I'm already so busy and there's, you know, the church always has something that they're asking of us. And I, I get that. I understand it. But when did we decide that discipleship shouldn't cost us very much? Because the early disciples, it cost them their lives. We have to be careful because if we don't have any skin in the game we're probably not going to be very committed. And listen, be careful. If it's not costing you, you probably don't value it like you should. Be willing to, to, to have some sacrifice. Be willing to have it cost you something. Be willing to serve. Uh, be willing to jump in tonight after service. And there should be no reason in a room this large that, we have, that it takes us any time at all to set up for a funeral. Because disciples stay. Disciples go grab a chair. Disciples grab a table. And they're willing to set up, and they're willing to help, and they're willing to sign up and bring a salad. They're willing to sign up and bring a, a side dish or some, some desserts because of a family that, that deserves that, you know, that kind of blessing and that, that kind of attention from a church family right now. You know, it's, it's not too much to ask. It's not too much to ask. If you're in a ministry to come early, To give it your best. If you're going to be in a ministry, don't give a half-hearted effort. That's not what disciples do. Disciples say, no listen, if I'm going to do this the right way, it should cost me something. I'm going to give something to it because that's what disciples do. And I preached this message Wednesday and I'm not meaning to preach it again. But I'm passionate about that point. So if we could summarize the marks of a disciple to this point. They put Christ first. They make disciples, and they're willing to pay the cost. So tonight, I want to look at this from a different angle. And and in many ways, this has been one message with three additional messages with specific applications. And and so we're not starting over. That's why we're not walking through the text again like I typically would. We've kind of already done that. And now I'm just applying it in some, I don't know, long-winded, multi-message preacher kind of format. And uh, at least I didn't try to fit it all in one service. Be thankful for that. Well, tonight's application in discipleship targets an institution, a unit that I haven't dealt with very much so far, and that is the family. See, I worked with teenagers for years, and, and I've also been a father for about 16 years now. And the longer I observe the next generation, the more concerned I get, honestly. And see, the world out there is not the only place with people that have no idea how to be disciples. Um, Recent studies indicate that in churches similar to ours, or somewhat similar to ours, gospel-preaching churches, they say that 70% of church-going young people between the ages of 18 and 22 walk out of the doors and don't come back. 70%. So if we were to have our young people ages 18 to 20, or maybe just all of our young people, any of them 18 and down, come stand along the front here, then we could say, okay, we're going to take 7 out of 10, and we'll send them out the back, and y'all just keep walking. Because that's the percentage that these days statistics are saying, Don't they walk away 18 to 22, and they don't come back. And honestly, I see it. Because once, once young people... Get out of the youth group. We were talking about this with Brother Juan today. They get out of the youth group, and and suddenly they have a little freedom, and and it, church isn't as fun because there aren't as many games in the college class. You know, you get to throw you know pies in each other's faces and play a minute to win it and whatever else happens. I I've I've seen it. I've watched it happen. And and just after the high school age, those high school years, they walk away from the Lord. And often they'll come back, or sometimes they'll come back, but very often they come back with some scars. Scars that were unnecessary if they had just stuck it out and stayed where they needed to be. And the reason for that is because I believe that we have, maybe we're we're making attempts to make disciples out there, but we need to look around our feet and realize that, listen, and the home, my responsibility is to make disciples of my children. When Caitlin was little, my 12 year old and again I've used her for a couple of illustrations lately and I'll ask forgiveness rather than permission. When Caitlin was young she had an an uncanny amazing ability to win staring contests. You ever have a staring contest? And Now you can do these a little differently. You You can either play it where the first one to blink loses. The way we like to play it is the first one to smile loses. It can last a while. When Caitlin was about four years old, uh, she, we, we, she could just turn it on, and she had this like little Terminator face. <laughs> and she would go right into it, and she could just turn it, off, turn it on immediately. And I remember one time, we went to, I was preaching at a camp in Northern California, and I had Caitlin with me, and I was bragging about her ability to win staring contests. So afterwards, all of these campers, you know, these teenage guys, big tough guys, and, and the girls that thought they were really cool, they're like, oh, we can beat. She's like a four-year-old girl, maybe five years old. I can't remember how old exactly. And so I remember I came out after the service, and she was standing up on a bench around the little bonfire. You know, the little bonfire service after camp. She was standing on a bench, and I'm not lying. There were about 40 teenagers lined up, and one after another, boom, boom, boom. And they would, oh, you know, they smile and walk away. And she beat every single one of them. i have never seen her lose at a staring contest. So after, this one right here with the glasses, after tonight, challenge her. No, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that to you. When she was little, she was like a little robot. It was awesome. And I started having dreams of where that could take her. We started training early. You know, we, we started... I started dreaming about her becoming the national high school champion in staring. And then maybe go on to win a college scholarship, you know, so we don't have to pay for school. And then I was thinking that maybe she could even go pro after one year of college. I'm dreaming here, just let me dream for a minute. Drafted in the first round, you know, of the staring contest draft, first pick. MVP of the Staring Contest League in her first year, 2024 Olympic qualifier, I had dreams. Gold medalists in all eight Staring Contest events, endorsements from Nike and Under Armour, and at that point, she would have been more Disney princess franchise. All-time undisputed, undefeated champion of Staring Contests. That was my dream. She's going to retire at the age of 21 as a multimillionaire and buy a mom and dad a, a mansion in flandrew or something like that <laughs> someplace nice around here we could just live out the rest of our days you know living high on the hog she'd just do speaking engagements and motivational speaking that's my dream and i'm doing that on purpose i'm being a little silly because it makes no sense you know scaring, staring contests don't matter and as good as you were caitlin at staring contests. In the grand scheme of things, honestly, it's not that important. Now, it was cute when she was little, but it'd be insane on my part to raise my daughter to be the best starer she can be because it doesn't matter. I mean, as cute as it was when she was little, it doesn't do anything for her now as a 12-year-old. It'd be a lifetime of wasted resources and misguided potential to train her to do something like that because I want my daughter... To live a life that matters. I want her to grow up and and have something to show for the years that she gave here on this earth. But do you realize we're raising a generation of young people trained to live lives that matter as little as if I raised Caitlin to win staring contests. It's happening all over the place. And I, I mean this. What I mean is if my children grow up to be incredible successes in their careers which I hope they will be successes. I hope they will make a difference wherever they end up, wherever God has them. If they end up and make more money than I could ever dream of, and they build a company into a multi-million dollar business, but they're not disciples, they've lived lives that don't matter in eternity. And what I mean, again, is that they, when I say what matters, I mean what we do for Christ regarding eternity, that's what really matters eternity matters and when we're true disciples and we serve the lord and we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and that is what lasts but if i simply train my children and raise them to grow up and lay up for themselves treasures on earth where the r- moth and rust and rust, moth, moth and rust doth corrupt if i can get it out where thieves do break through and steal, if that's all they have to show for it, and they're not disciples, listen, I have raised them, I have trained them to grow up and live lives that in eternity do not matter. Do I want my children to succeed? Absolutely. Do I want them to do well in school? You bet. They better, or they get grounded. Do I want them to have the opportunity to go to college? If that's what the Lord wants, absolutely. Do I want them to do more than I've done? Yes, but all of those things, to the Jet family at least, aren't nearly as important as those five kids on that row growing up to become disciples. Learners. Pupils of Christ. Followers of our Savior. Please understand, this has nothing to do with ministry versus career. This is about disciple or not a disciple. And here's the philosophy I have for young people. I don't believe every young person is called to ministry. Those called to full-time ministry in this room are, you know, at least those serving in full-time ministry right now. You know, there's my myself and my wife and brother Spencer and, and Mrs. Spencer right now. That's four divided by, I don't know, 150 in here tonight. So you realize most churches aren't made up of people that are called to full-time ministry. So it would be silly for me to stand up here and say, I believe all, everyone, 100% of young people are called to ministry and they need to give their lives to it. Now, I do believe they ought to give God the first opportunity. I believe they ought to give God the first opportunity to use their lives to serve Him. And if He chooses not to, that's fine. But young people, give God the first chance rather than giving some company your best resources. Say, God, if you would allow me in my life to serve you, I would be happy to. I would love to. And if he closes that door, that's fine. But young people, you ought to struggle with the the option. You ought to struggle with the possibility that God might call you to serve him full time. But even if my five, even if none none of my five end up in ministry, their lives will matter in eternity if they end up as disciples. In Luke 9, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. If you don't want to live as a disciple, there's a choice you make. Just understand this. To choose to be Christ's disciple is to live a life that matters in eternity. If that's what you want, make the choice be a disciple. To refuse to be his disciple is to live a life that doesn't matter in eternity. And I'm not trying to be uh, make blanket statements here today. I'm trying to get you to understand what Jesus Christ was saying is that if you live for Christ as a disciple, in the end you'll get to stand before him with something that matters. You'll be able to look back at your life on your life and say, "God, I did this for you. I lived for you. I put you first. I died to myself daily. I counted the cost. I was willing to make sacrifices. You were first in my life." And you may not have ever had me be a preacher, but I was a disciple and And therefore, look at what I can bring you because I was a disciple. That's what we should hope for all of our children. We need to get serious about helping people live lives that matter. And not just the folks outside the door, the ones that we'll be tripping over out after service tonight. The ones running around in the foyer, those little guys and those little girls all the way up. You know, 16, 17, 18-year-olds. We ought to be as passionate about them becoming disciples as we are our neighbor, a stranger. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be passionate about our neighbor. I'm saying we shouldn't go to our neighbor and neglect our children. Parents, your child-rearing goal is not to raise kids that stay out of jail. And you say, well, I don't want my kids to go to jail. And I don't blame you. Any amens there? Okay. If you want your kids to go to jail, be silent, okay? I don't want to raise my kids to be in prison. I think that's a good goal. I'd love for that to happen, you five. I'm, I'm, I have one that maybe I'm thinking might be more likely, but <laughs> I'm not going to look at her, him, her, whichever one. I'm not going to look right now. I'm not talking about my wife either, so... That's a good goal, but there's something more important than raising non-felons. <laughs> Parents, you're responsible to make disciples. And, and before you reward them for just being good in school, or being good at sports, or being popular, or even just being good kids, let them know that the most important thing they could ever do is be a disciple of Christ. All of those other things are great. I want them to succeed. I'd love for them to be good at everything that they try, but I do not want them to do it at the expense of following Jesus Christ. As a disciple, it's Christ first in everything. It, you know, and it's, it's uh, disciples involved in activities that would help them make more disciples. A disciple is willing to follow God, even if it costs him these things we've been talking about. And a lot of parents say, well, how do I do that? How do I do that? Because honestly, we as parents need to take it upon ourselves to not rely on the church to make disciples out of our children. I mean, as much as as it is important that they come to the services here and they hear truths that would help them to be disciples, the church only gets them three hours out of the week. The rest of the time, they're directly under my care. So who's the most responsible to make disciples out of these five right here? It's not their Sunday school teachers. And if I send them to school, it's not their school teachers. And it's not their friends, It's uh, you know, the adult friends here at the church. It's me as their parent. If I'm going to teach them to, be, to put Christ first, you know I have to make some decisions that affect my daily life. You say, well, how do you do this? Well, if, if it's about Christ first and it's about... If it's about being involved in activities that are eternal, um, how about church attendance? If I'm going to raise disciples, I need to teach them that church attendance is not optional because Christ is first. And because they're to be involved and engaged in activity that helps them become more like Christ, they're to be involved in things that help them to go make more disciples. They're to be involved in things that make them count the cost and make them feel a little bit of sacrifice because that's the disciple way. You know, there's 168 hours in a week. If they go to school for 40 hours in a week, and we're, I don't see why we have to let our kids make us feel bad about giving four to five hours a week to God's house to come and focus on Him for a little bit. But listen, parents if we're going to train them to be disciples and train them to put God first and train them to be in God's house every time the doors are open because it's a small fraction of the week, then we better be willing to do the same. If it's not optional for them, it shouldn't be optional for me as a dad either. It's just a few hours a week compared to the rest of it. So you want to, parents, if you want some help to help your children to see that Christ is first, and that's what disciples do, then don't make church optional. I'm thinking about giving habits. I think it'd be good for us to let our children see that we actively set aside the first 10% of our weekly income to God. And I'm thankful most of you give to missions too. And most of you give to some kind of building fund on top of that. It's good for our kids to know that the first fruits of our income go to God. Let them be involved in seeing that you give. Let them know that God is always first when it comes to our money, kids. Let them see that process. Teach them how to be givers. Think about Bible reading. You know, there's a lot of homes probably in this country, in this culture, that uh, Christian homes, that video games and TV are probably engaged in before a Bible gets read for the day. If you're going to teach our children to put Christ first then let's try to set some priorities in the home. And say, no, if Christ is first, then I want to hear from him in his word before we turn something on. Open your Bible before you power up the, the game system. I'm thinking about playing sports, and this is a big one. We see a lot of young people and children in churches like this giving themselves to playing a game. Pretty soon they start to miss services, Pretty soon that becomes their life passion. They don't go to camp. They don't go to Bible school. They miss the youth activities during the week. They become much more passionate about a game, about an activity, than they are about God Himself. And I, we've had kids in sports before too, and it's a hard balance to find. But listen, if I, I raise them without helping them to see that that's much less important than the God of heaven, then I'm not raising a disciple now, I better be careful of that balancing act. I think the older they get, you know, they start getting jobs. You've probably seen this happen before with teenagers. You know, they get a job or they get a license, and so in order to pay for insurance they have to and gas, they have to get a job so they can get a car, so they can pay for, you know, go to work so they can pay for the gas, and they can pay for the insurance so they get a job. It's a circle. And we have one driving now, and... I don't know. Insurance companies make a lot of money. I'll just say that. Okay. Our 16-year-old started driving and she's looking at cars and she's thinking about jobs and I've seen too many teenagers disconnect from church and God because of some minimum wage job. They miss camp. They miss activities. They, they're not part of the church family because they have to have a job to pay for the car and the insurance and the gas so they can get to their job. And we've got to be careful. I, I want my kids to grow up. I want them to grow up and be responsible adults. But I would I and you can hold me accountable on this. I, I don't want to be the kind of dad, and we don't want to be the kind of parents that let our kids get jobs at the expense of their involvement at church. As soon as we do that, we have let we have sent the message to them that job and money and cars are more important than God Himself. Well, there's, so many, there's so many examples. Choosing a college. You know, I don't believe everyone is, has to go to Bible college, but it's not a bad idea, parents, to give God the first opportunity to have your child's life. And I've, I've known too many parents whose children come to them, 16, 17, 18 years old, and they say, Mom and Dad, I really feel prompted to spend a year at Bible college, and their parents say, it's not even accredited. You know, I'm not sure that's a good idea. It's kind of a waste of a year. You have scholarships. You want to utilize those scholarships? And, and, and I'm all about scholarships, and I'm all about saving money, and I'm all about being successful. But if we start to tell our children, when they're prompted by the Holy Spirit, to give God a year of their life in Bible college, if we start to tell them, well, what about scholarships? We are sending this meta-message, this underlying message to them, that no Uh, Your career is more important than giving God a year of your life. And that's a dangerous signal. That's not the kind of signal that you send if you're trying to make disciples. And I'm not saying that every young person that comes along should go to Bible college. I'm simply saying, parents, I've seen too many parents undermine God's working in their children's lives. By making them doubt God's call to give God a year of their life. And the truth is, parents, your number one priority is not to make athletes or musicians or businessmen. As good as all those things are, it is your job, your number one job and priority is to produce disciples from your home. You have to connect that ultimate goal of discipleship to your daily decisions in your household. And you say, Well, I wasn't raised in church or by Christian parents. I don't even know where to start. Well, I just want to tell you tonight look around the room. You have a building full of parents who've done it, many have done it well. So find the ones that seem to be going in the right direction and ask them. You know Aaron and I as we've raised our children, we've gotten so much help from our church family in Stillwater, and I'm assuming we'll get very uh, very much help from our church family here at Eastside Baptist Church. We are not above help raising our children. Because we don't know it all. We don't have all the answers. And I'm thankful for other adults who took their time and have helped my children on their path to discipleship. We bear the responsibility. I'm the disciple maker. She's the disciple maker in our home. But we can all help by by having other adults in our lives that will not only be good examples, but will take time to invest and teach and model what a disciple looks like. Listen, you have a church full of people here tonight. Parents, if you're feeling overwhelmed, Eastside Baptist Church is full of disciples. And you've got a lot of parents who have done it well, so go to them, ask them. And you say, well, I don't have children at home, and this sermon doesn't really apply to me. Well, no, it does, because we all have a responsibility for the next generation. Anybody younger than you You have a responsibility to help them along. Church members, there's a generation of young people coming up after us. And in 30 or 40 years, a whole generation will be gone. And Eastside Baptist Church will be full of the ones that are 40 and younger. And if we haven't raised disciples, then you can go ahead and lock the doors. Because the work we don't if we just expect the work to continue without investment in the lives of the next generation, it's not going to happen on its own. I mean, if we allow, if we if we think the culture is going to have enough influence on them to turn them, them into disciples, we are fooling ourselves. It is our responsibility to make disciples as a church to reach this generation and help raise them up. To be the next generation of disciples. And you might say, well, I don't even know where to start. Parents, I know sometimes you feel that way. Well, John 8.31 says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. You know, the word of God is the disciples' textbook. And when we're at a loss for what to do and where to go, um, go back to The basics. Are you familiar enough with this book to teach it to someone else? And that's convicting, but if you're a disciple, according to this verse, you continue in the Word because disciples are familiar with the Word, and you take what you know and you teach someone else. I love to walk around on Sunday mornings when I go to different churches, and I love to hear teachers teaching children in so many different ways. It's fun. I love it, and I'm thankful for all the years I've had children in my home for 16 years now, and we've gone through dozens of teachers and Sunday school teachers that invest in our children's lives, and I'm just so thankful for it. It's awesome. The word is where it starts. If you continue in, if we continue in God's words, word, that's how we know we're disciples. We stay in it, we know it, we teach it to others. So listen, when you get together with people, what's the subject of your conversations? Do spiritual matters come up? Do you talk about the Word? How much of a priority is church to you and your family? How much of a priority is God's Word to you and your family? Every service that, that Eastside Baptist Church has, I'm assuming there may have been some over the years where different circumstances come, but the vast majority, Brother Spencer, The Word of God is open. Preaching takes place. So, to continue in His Word as a disciple means that you make this place a priority. Because we're going to come and we're going to hear God's Word. And I may not have the answers, I may not know everything, but I can come here and I can hear the Word open and learn something that I can pass along to my children if I want to make disciples. How often is the Word a part of your daily life at home, parents? Do your children get encouraged to study for school more than they do the Bible? Remember, the goal for every person is to be disciples. A college scholarship for a non disciple doesn't do much in eternity. You say, Well, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to go. Start with the word. And you say, Well, I'm not a parent or my kids are grown. I already talked about that. We have a responsibility to the next generation. You say, well, I don't know how. How do I disciple somebody? Well, we've already, again, talked about it. It starts with familiarity with the Word. If you want to teach someone else to be a disciple, you've got to know the textbook. Because you're a learner, and you're going to teach somebody else how to be a learner, pick up the textbook. Listen, any other time that God's people reproduce themselves, it took time and love. And sometimes we think, well, I'll just pour water on it. The next day I'm going to have a disciple. Easy. Easy. Well, no there's, there's no, there's no quick fix. John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye love one another. So sometimes it's not just about a few hours of investment. It's about years of investment. Brother Spencer could tell you, Mrs. Spencer could tell you about maybe even some in this room that they didn't just invest an hour or two with. They spent days with. Weeks, months, years investing in people. And some of you are the fruit and the product of, of people that have invested years in your life. It takes love and a love for God's word. It, that's what discipleship is. It's it's about helping people and being patient with people. I think about Ananias and Paul. Go read Acts chapter nine. If you want to see somebody patient with somebody who, who really didn't deserve much of a chance. I think about Barnabas and Paul. I think about Barnabas and Mark. I think about Paul and Timothy. The greatest Bible example, though, is Jesus and those 12. He personally invested the last three years of his life to train them, poured three years of his life, of his word and his love into them, and they went out and they made disciples in, in kind. And we're recipients of it. I'm thankful for it. Now, that's, this is, discipleship's a big deal. It's Christ's command, it's Christ's example. And listen, there's not a plan B. If we don't reproduce ourselves, who is going to make disciples? If we don't look at our children in the face and say, we're going to make some changes because I want you to be a disciple, you think somebody else is going to come along and teach them how to be like Christ? If you leave them to the culture, do you really honestly think They're going to become a disciple just based on the influences out there? Are you helping others live a life that matters? Well, first of all, if we're going to help them, we need to be living lives that matter ourselves. So from Luke 14, it starts with who we love. And maybe that's the key to all of this. Maybe our children need to see that we love Jesus Christ more than anything else. And on that law, what does the Bible say hangs what? I mean on that command hangs what? The law and the prophets. If you love God first, then everything else falls in the line. And parents, when you don't have answers, just love the Lord like you're supposed to. And he'll and, and all those other things are gonna fall in the line. I I thought of this illustration a few years back. And I don't know if you've ever taken a tour somewhere. Uh, my wife and I went on a cruise one one time and we went to this... We went to a couple different islands, and for a, a couple of the excursions, we would just go get in a taxi. We'd pay the guy, and we'd say, just take us around the island, let us see it. You know, and it was okay. He gladly took our money, and he gladly stretched it out and earned more money than he probably should have. But... I remember one excursion on one island that we were on we paid the company to take us on a guided tour and it was amazing the difference when someone that's been there is guiding you along it was so much better than someone who didn't really know what they were talking about and it caused me to think about also then the difference that it would have been if i would had gotten on the phone and called a travel agent who'd never been to that island and said, hey, tell me, you know, what's the best stuff to see? And they say, oh, let's well, see, Google says do this or do that. You know, if I'm going to go visit somewhere, I'm not going to call a travel agent who's never been there. I'm going to go find a tour guide. Because I want somebody to take me on that tour who's been there before. But see, I wonder if sometimes as parents and Christians and this the generation teaching the ones behind us if sometimes we operate more like travel agents than tour guides and, and this is the life we think it is to walk with christ this is what what i what i think it is you know this are this is what i think it's like you know i've, I've gotten glimpses this is what i think it's like as opposed to being a tour guide who's been there before because the experience is so much different And I think parents, we need to be careful that we don't turn into travel agents and we know what to say, but we've never been there so we don't really know how to show them. Maybe we should stop being travel agents and be tour guides and experience Christ for ourselves and have a meaningful relationship for ourselves so that when it's time for our children to be raised to be disciples, we've been there before. And we know what it's like And we know the difficulties and we know the costs. But in the end, we also know that it's worth it. So rather than just saying, oh, this is what I think it's like, I can say, listen, kids, I can look at my children, my disciple right here is fast asleep. Jace and Lacey and Caitlin and Audrey and Olivia. I don't want to be a travel agent. I don't want you just to call me and say, I mean, just give me an idea what it's like and me think." well, I I think it's probably about like this. I think this is discipleship. No, I want to be a tour guide. And I want you to be disciples, but I don't want you to be disciples in, in spite of a travel agent. I want you to be disciples because as a tour guide, I've taken you through it, and I've showed you what it's like, and you know that I've experienced it myself because it's so much better than calling a travel agent. And We ought to be passionate about making disciples not just out there, but also right here. What are you doing to invest in this generation coming up behind us? Parents, are you showing every day in your decisions that Christ should be first? And I don't know how God may have spoken to your heart tonight, but let's stand together. If God's moved in your heart about discipleship in any of the truths that we've, that we've talked about, if God's spoken to your heart tonight about being uh, a, a tour guide, not just a travel agent. If God's spoken to your heart parents about making sure that you're sending the signal in your home that Christ is first, however God has spoken, we're going to pray in here in just a moment. You have an opportunity to respond. Let's be tour guides not travel agents. And let's raise a generation of disciples because if we don't, it's not like someone else is going to come along and do it for us.